Well, welcome back. Jeff and Rick are recording again, and this time we're taking it to a, a different place. And as you know, we've been talking about the three P's, passion, purpose, and presence. And we decided for, for you fellow encouragers in the work of trueness that peop, some people we know would benefit all of us greatly to hear from them and to hear from them as far as uh, passion and purpose and presence. And so the first one we're starting with today is someone that is very familiar to both Rick and myself, as well as my guess is to a significant number, probably a surprising number of you who are already in the work of trueness. And that person is Ted Seneff. And Ted, first of all, welcome. And, and thanks for letting us, uh, you, letting us have you be the first person we interview, because we're so comfortable with Ted. And, and we realize this is a, a, a new thing for us to go into the interviews themselves. And just as a quick note on the interviews, we're really excited about some of the people we've already got on our list. And we're very excited that Ted is the first one for many, many reasons. And I'm going to just say this and Ted, don't let this influence what you want to talk to us about. But I've often said about Ted, the most common thing I've said about Ted over the years, and those years are about almost 20, right? Ted? Yes. Yes. Is that Ted is probably, uh, not probably, Ted is the most present person I've ever known. And that is something I've been very, and many times actually jealous of. But I admire him greatly for that. So I'll be anxious to hear, Ted, what you have to offer. And with that, I'm going to let Rick get us started with the interview, Ted. Well, you've okay. you've kind of answered uh, the first question, which really, you know, so we've we've been developing this conversation right around the three P's: passion, purpose, and presence. And so, Ted, which one of those resonates the most for you at this time? And then, if you could tell us why. Oh, I'd be glad to. First, I want to say it's just a really an honor to uh, be a part of this dialogue. I have so much respect for both of you and. Uh, thank you for inviting me to do this. I really appreciate it. Uh, not based on uh, Jeff's kind comments, but uh, presence probably is the one that resonates the strongest. I think all three are very powerful, and they certainly uh, interface with one another. But presence is probably the topic that was such a turning point in my life, and it's something that I still work on daily. It's it's a journey. It's never a destination. Um so I would say presence is the one that resonates the strongest with me. And so, you know, I, I've, I've known you for a while, too, not quite the 20 years that uh, Jeff has. But, you know, I, I look back and even from the very first interaction, you've you've always talked about presence in some form. And, yeah. and how is it that that kind of came about? Like, how did you discover that presence was really for you such a, an important part of what you were doing? You know, I think we all have significant moments that are turning points in our life. And there was a couple of uh, experiences I had that kind of put me on this path. One pointed me in the right direction. The other kind of started my feet moving <laughs> on the path. Hmm. And I, I heard a story uh, many, many years ago about a gentleman. It was being told by a gentleman by the name of Jim Rowan. He passed away in 2009. He was a very successful entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And the story just intrigued me. And the story he told was, he said early in his life he was anything but a success. He said, matter of fact, he said he everything was a struggle for him. And uh, he had a wife, two children. He said he always worked hard, but he would go from place to place, always trying to find the right job. And he would always get his share of promotions and raises. But it never came easy, and it was never enough. Um, 
And one day he went to work for a gentleman by the name of Mr. Shelf. And he'd been there for, I guess, for a few months. And then Mr. Shelf pulled him aside one day and said, Jim, I've noticed you and I've observed you working very hard and I appreciate that. This is my company and it makes a difference for me and a lot of people when people work hard. He said, I'm going to share something with you today that you may or may not hear, but I'm going to share it with you today. And he said, he said, I want you to look out there, Jim. And he pointed to the workforce. And I truthfully don't know if Jim was working in a factory or an office or where he was, but he pointed to the workforce. And he says, Jim, I have quite a few hard workers out there. He said, not all of them, but I have quite a few hard workers, and I appreciate every one of them. But he said, most of them will never know or realize that hard work is not the key to success. He said, it's an element, but it's not even close to being the key to success. He said, Jim, if you really want to live a successful, meaningful, and fulfilling life, he said, you have to learn this one thing, and you have to learn it very well. Learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Hmm. And that, to me, was it, it was like those words just flew out of the, uh, the radio that I was listening to at the time and just embedded themselves into my mind and my heart. And apparently they did the same thing to Jim Rohn. He couldn't get those words out of his mind. Learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Uh, because most people will put more time, more effort, more energy into their work than any other thing in their life. And here was this gentleman telling him that's not where you want to put the emphasis of your energy. So Jim couldn't shake that thought, so he knew he had to do something with it. Now, he didn't say work longer on yourself than you do on your job. You could be putting in 40, 50, 60, 70 hours, whatever. But he said work harder on yourself. So what Jim decided to do was he was going to dedicate 30 minutes every day to Jim Rohn. And what he was going to do with those 30 minutes was he was going to read a book. And it would be whatever, he would pick up any book that would motivate, challenge, and inspire him to be a better person. It had nothing to do with his job, and it wasn't entertainment. It was all about evolving as a human being. And he may read five pages one day or ten the next day if he got, he would maybe memorize a passage from it during that day if he saw something that really struck him. And Jim Rohn related, he said, over a short period of time, he said, everything began to change. He said, suddenly I was thinking differently. I was responding to things differently. I was attracting different things into my life. He said, it was almost like success became easy. Now, uh, Mr. Shove shared another thought with him that was very profound for him as well. And he told Jim, he said, success is not something you pursue. Success is what you attract by the person you become. And I think what he was referring to there was presence. Success is what you attract as you nurture and evolve your presence. And suddenly it's no longer a pursuit. Uh, you become this attraction field for this thing uh, called we want to call success. And uh, that was a huge turning point in my life. I, I knew I had to start dedicating specific time and specific rituals to evolving myself as a human being and learning about life and not just throwing myself into my to-do list every day. Do you feel like you have focused on presence deliberately? Because, it, it, you know, personally, to me, it seems um, that it has been a focus now. As I, was, as I was listening to you talk and I was thinking about, you know, many stories that I've heard you tell over the years. And yeah, it always seems to me that that has always kind of been an undercurrent. So when I think about the three Ps, it's to me, it seems like you have deliberately focused on presence over the, you know, the you know, the idea of passion and purpose. Not to say that you haven't woven those elements in, uh, but but do you think uh, that you consciously have focused on presence? Yeah, Rick, the word you, you use the word deliberate. I think that's that's a really really powerful and good word to use. 
because uh, what I've discovered for myself is what I don't do deliberately doesn't get done well. Mm. Uh, and what I don't choose deliberately, just I just I find myself an automatic pilot and I get drawn into the whatever the external forces are around me drawing my attention. So making a deliberate choice and doing deliberate things around presence. And for me, and I know it's different for everyone, but for me, once my presence began to evolve, out of that came my purpose and my passion. I think it can, it can work a lot of different ways. But for me, as my presence evolved, suddenly my purpose became very, very clear, and the passion was just readily available to me. Well, I've, I've, got a, I've just got a really big smile on my face <laughs> because you – the very first post that I put out, Ted, on to setting up for the work of Trunus, the people in the work of Trunus, was on impact and introducing the three P's. And, and what I was trying to articulate there was that there is a flow, mm-hmm. but ultimately they just become one. And yeah. it, it, it becomes hard to even determine which came first, you know. Yeah. And for different people, because of our different experiences and our unique stories at, like yours, it may start with one versus the other, you know, and so and and go in several directions before it gets into the flow. So thank you for sharing that. And and you've also it's great. Rick, he's answered all of our questions that we yeah. have prepared. And we're done. We're done. <laughs> but, you know, you you defined so uniquely the work of trueness. And I want to point this out in telling the story of Jim Rohn and and Mr. Schof. Mr. Schoff's advice to him is such a – I want everybody to really focus on this, that the work of trueness, the work of being true, the work of giving to your own trueness so you can give through your work and life and leadership to others, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And I, and I love the fact you pointed out you're not talking about time. <laughs> you're talking about energy and effort. Give that energy. I, I was in a conversation this week with a coaching client who was – at a point where I had to I had to be a little bit of the parent, if you will. I said, okay, you're going to make me have this talk with you, aren't you? And she knew exactly where I was going. And the talk was taking the time for yourself is not selfish. Yes. It's selfless. Mm-hmm. It makes you better for those you're leading and influencing and serving. And And the reason I was having to give her that talk is she had – canceled a session in mid-February because she was ill. She had to go home suddenly, and that was great. But then she never, you know, ignored my emails, my phone calls. I'm wondering if she's died. And finally, over a month later, we get back together, and she's very apologetic. But the whole reason was she was denying herself. Yes. So thank you for that. I, I just think that's such a great help to what we're doing in this work of trueness. So so with that, uh, because all that was was very encouraging to those who are listening, uh, I just know. But based on what we've been talking about and what we're trying to do in the work of trueness, grow together, apply our authentic self in our work, in our leadership, what other encouragement might you offer those listening? Well, you know, the um, the other experience I had that really kind of clarified more of a purpose for me that came out of that work on presence actually took place when I – I was always jumping from job to job because it was never the right job. And I was always kind of looking for the right job. And I would, and much like Jim Rohn, I would always work hard. I would always get my best, but it never quite seemed to be where I was supposed to be. And uh, I was sitting at a big machine that was processing and encoding checks. And I was flipping through these checks to see if the machine had encoded the checks right. It was 4 a.m. in the morning because I just remember looking up and seeing the time. I was very, very tired because I wasn't used to working the off shift yet. 
But I remember thinking to myself, if I could just find the right job, I was pretty sure flipping through checks wasn't the right job. And uh, I guess because I was so tired that night, I didn't try to answer the question myself, which I typically do did in the, in the past. I would say if I could just find the right job, then I would think about, well, maybe I'll look at the postings on the wall or I'll look for some training. But that night, the job, it's just the question kind of lingered. If I could just find the right job, that's that uh, that longing. And out of the silence from my fatigue, I, I, I suppose, um, came kind of the answer I'd probably been looking for all my life, but it wasn't the answer I was expecting. And what I, what I basically heard was this, Ted, there is no right job. There's just a right way to do any job. Hmm. Now, it, at first, it was kind of irritating, actually, because it said I'd been looking for something <laughs> that didn't exist all my life. And, uh, but the, as I thought about it, and and again, I was just so tired, I wasn't really thinking about it. I was just kind of being with it. So I was thinking, well, what's the right way to do any job? And again, out of the silence, uh, the indication was simply this. Bring care, bring love, care, and attention to whatever it is you're doing, and now what you're doing is the right job. And that, again, just stuck with me. If I brought love, care, and attention, suddenly, after a few minutes, I wasn't just flipping through pieces of paper. I noticed there was names of human beings on those checks that I was processing that represented real lives and real families. And suddenly, the work I was doing felt different. Now, it wasn't an instantaneous change. It was something I had to bring deliberate thought to. But over a period of time, what I discovered was anytime I brought love, care, and attention to the moment, whatever it is I was doing, whatever it is I was doing at that moment became significant and important and meaningful mm-hmm. and over a longer period and from that point uh when i was doing that it's it's like my career path just took over itself I, I went from there to another department and eventually into the field that i did for the last 15 years of my working life which i absolutely loved and it was by no effort on my own whatsoever it was just following that directive to just bring love care and attention to the moment and eventually what evolved out of that was it was it was bigger than just work. What life was kind of saying to me was, Ted, if you'll bring love, care, and attention to the moment, whatever it is, whether you're speaking with your wife or playing with a child or you're speaking to a group of people or you're driving a car, if you'll just bring love, care, and attention to the moment, I will take care of every other detail of your life, including your career and everything else around it. And life never not lived up to that agreement with me. There was times when I would slip away from it and things would start feeling like a struggle and stop working. But it was always a matter of just calling myself back to that purpose, which is just bring love, care and attention to the moment. 